Welcome to Weekly Wisdom. No literate, inquisitive, and imaginative person needs to go to college unless in need of a union card or degree as a certified physician, lawyer, or teacher, or unless he requires access to certain heavy and expensive equipment for scientific research which he himself cannot afford, such as a cyclotron. This opening sentence from a chapter in Alan Watts' autobiography entitled My Own University meant much to me as a teen, where I used to stay up late in bed listening to Watts' fabulously thoughtful observations on the backwardness of everyday structures of thinking. These simple words helped get me off the track of my peers and start creating my own way. I was freed from this future projecting idea that when I'll go to college, I'll start learning and become great at something. My university was to start now. I was not necessarily to go out and buy all the classics, but to do what Joseph Campbell suggested, to when you find an author that truly speaks to you, read everything he or she has written. Watts was one of those authors for me. He became a hero. This was before I knew that he was at first a Christian minister, or that he was a counterculture icon famously living on his houseboat in San Francisco, that he had an immense drinking problem, and a record in romance and family not to be very proud of. Although I know he struggled in relationships, I still love to offer these words he would share when marrying couples, as a possible reading at their weddings. What I'm about to say may at first sound depressing and even cynical, but I think you will not find it so in practice. There are three things I would have you bear in mind. The first is that as you now behold one another, you are probably seeing each other at your best. Do not, therefore, go into marriage with projects for improving each other. Growth may happen, but it cannot be forced. The second has to do with emotional honesty. Never pretend to a love which you do not actually feel, for love is not ours to command. For the same reason, do not require love from your partner as a duty, for love given in this spirit does not ring true and gives no pleasure to the other. The third is that you do not so cling to each other to commit mutual strangulation. You are not each other's chattels, and you must so trust your partner as to allow full freedom to be the being that he and she is. If you observe these things in your marriage, you have surer ground than could be afforded by any formal contract or promise, however solemn and legally binding. Watts had a kind of dual commitment, not to reject the institutions of social life or practical thinking, but to investigate it so thoroughly and respectfully that he might make his own way out of it. It would be very unwise for me to say that Watts was not a devout practitioner of the spirituality he taught, but to me he was first and foremost an incredible hermeneutist, who could understand these ideas from Taoism or Zen or the physics and psychology of the time and explain them to us in a thoughtful and often humorous way. Some of Watts' key ideas from all of his studies of religion were that life is spirit, and that all of life is God's game of hide-and-seek, that social living, although endearing, is really always going to be a fake, which means at some level, none of us living in the world can't help but be a fake, so you might as well be a genuine fake. I can't help but believe that Watts may have been a little confessional in his description of what he called the trickster guru. He shares, The attraction of being a trickster guru are many. There is power and there is wealth, and still more the satisfactions of being an actor without need for a stage, who turns real life into a drama. It is not, furthermore, an illegal undertaking such as selling shares in non-existent corporations, impersonating a doctor, or falsifying checks. The first step is to frequent those circles where gurus are especially sought. Be quiet and solitary. 
Never ask questions, but occasionally add a point quite briefly to what some speaker has said. Volunteer no information about your personal life, but occasionally indulge in a little absent-minded name-dropping to suggest that you have traveled widely and spent time in Turkestan. Such behavior will soon provoke people into asking your advice. Don't come right out with it, but suggest that the question is rather deep and ought to be discussed at length in some quiet place. Make an appointment. Conclude the interview with a slightly veiled command to perform some rather odd exercise such as humming a sound and then suddenly stopping. Make a further appointment for a report on progress. When some student asks, Where did you get all this? Well, you just picked up a thing or two in Turkestan. Or, I'm quite a bit older than I look. Or say that reincarnation is entirely unlike what people suppose it to be. Later, let on that you are in some way connected with an extremely select in-group. Don't brashly claim anything. Your students will soon do that for you. And when one hits on the fantasy that pleases you most, say, I see you are touching stage 18. As time goes on, allow it more and more to be understood that you are in constant touch with other centers of work. Disappear from time to time by taking trips abroad and come back looking more mysterious than ever. Watt's words are humorous, but notice his empathy as well for the trickster. A trickster guru is certainly an illusionist, but one might ask, what else is art? If the universe is nothing but a vast Rorschach blot upon which we project our collective measures and interpretations, and if past and future has no real existence, an illusionist is simply a creative artist who changes the collective interpretation of life and even imposes upon it. I do believe that as much Watts believed he couldn't help but be a genuine fake, his sincerity comes through. He didn't see himself as perfect or as holy, even though my bet is that he didn't mind being viewed that way. For me, as much as he was and still is seen as far out today, in all honesty, he did a very simple yet profound work in the tradition of a Joseph Campbell. He read a lot of books, and in what he found merit in and connection between, he interpreted for the common day. One thing about Watts that to me makes him quite special is that unlike most spiritual teachers, he embraced the world. He was not one for being in the world, but not of it, but about finding his own nature and way in the world and being just that. He shares, A philosopher teacher is invariably confused with a missionary preacher with a vocation to improve the world and do good to others, and thus his personal and private life is an object of amazing curiosity and minute scrutiny. I have the greatest difficulty in making it clear that I do not regard myself as something other than the world, which can stand aside from that world and then tell it what it ought to be, as sort of an independent critic from some other universe. I regard my philosophizing simply as an attempt to describe what is happening in the world. If this description suggests any changes in thought or behavior, I regard these suggestions, not so much as my personal recommendations, but as an integral part of the world's own growth process. In other words, I regard my work as the spontaneous arisal of a vitamin or nutrient which the world happens to need at this time, and which it is producing through me and many others. Watt's belief that we do not come into the world, but grow out of it just like the trees and the flowers, is a huge shift for so many of us, to see the world not as alien, but as ourselves. To find our way in it is to discover as much about nature as our own purpose in life.